guys, and welcome back to the HP Fit Podcast. My name is Hunter, the host and creator, and today we are going to be talking about managing hunger during a fat loss phase or while in a caloric deficit. So if you have ever entered a fat loss phase or dieting phase, you will know that hunger is often a roadblock that you or someone else you know that has entered a diet will face and have to approach and conquer. So there's a couple of different factors that will obviously affect our hunger levels differently. So a couple of these, I'm just gonna kind of go through them real quick, but first off, our exposure to obviously nutrition meal timing structure when we were younger. So those individuals who, or who ha- currently have a poor style of eating or poor meal structure, structure, these individuals specifically will most likely experience hunger at a quicker or larger rate than those that have a more appropriate meal structure. Um, hormones can also play a huge role in hunger. So the main hormonal fluctuations in terms of regulating appetite that you may hear of is leptin and ghrelin. So leptin is actually um, made and released from adipose or fat tissues, fat tissue within the body. And ghrelin is commonly known as the hunger hormone that two thirds of ghrelin is actually made in our stomach. Along with this, habits and behaviors around food, especially when it's experiencing stressful or triggering situations. So a situation could be going out with friends for dinner, could be a triggering event for some. Now, we all have a settling point for our bodies. And as we lose excess weight, our hunger levels will continue to attempt to push back to that old settling point. So let's say you start off at 250 pounds and you push a dieting phase all the way down to 230. You may have a settling point at 230 for a couple months. Um, Could be a month, could be two, could be a couple weeks before your body finally adjusts to that new settling point of 230. And like I mentioned, it can take months for this to actually settle before you even want to attempt going into another dieting or fat loss phase. And to kind of add on to this last point, multiple fat loss phases will require multiple settling points along the way. So your first initial fat loss phase may result in a 25 to 30 pound weight loss, depending on how much you have to lose. Your next one may only result in 20. And then if you push a little bit further on that last one, after having that plateau and settling point and maintenance recovery, um, you may only lose 10 pounds. So this is just something that has to be accepted, obviously during the, the fat loss phase and weight loss is you will experience these plateaus and settling points. Now, so why the hunger? Why, why do we get hungry when we're entering a fat loss phase? So hypo, hypo caloric situations, HYPO, or caloric deficits, where we're eating less 
than required per our maintenance, not only increases our overall hunger, but it also increases our cravings around food. And if you've ever dieted in the past or entered a fat loss phase, you may start to realize that you're becoming hyper-focused around food. You are hyper-focused around preparing food. And this is just a natural response to being in that hypocaloric uh, situation. Now, hunger itself can be obviously described as the body's signal that calories are needed right now. Um, if you, <laughs> when you're extremely hungry, you are hyper-focused on getting whatever you can to eat. And most times when you are starving and beyond hungry, the food choices that you are selecting are not the most appropriate because you are trying to get whatever you can at that moment. And then cravings. So cravings are those sensations and those desires that we get when we want to eat those pleasurable foods. So those cravings for chocolate, for cereal, you may have cravings for fruit even, um, but that is just that sensation and that desire. Now, the secondary effect of long-term and consistent hunger is stress. So kind of mentioned before is that this stress can come in a different wave for individuals. And I go back to that situation of where the individual might find going out or social events with friends um, while entering a dieting phase or while deep into a dieting phase, it's stressful. And these types of stressful situations, such as going out with friends, could possibly trigger additional cravings. And when you experience these additional cravings, this can obviously affect your fat loss diet and overall adherence will most likely decrease as a result. Now, it's also important to touch on the stress hormone cortisol. I'm sure you have heard this if you've ever entered into a fat loss phase or just in general, because this word gets thrown around quite a bit. And it's often believed that cortisol completely stops the fat loss process. While this isn't fully true, um, cortisol actually will increase the breakdown of not only our lean tissue, such as muscle, but it will also increase the breakdown of fat. Now, you may say, well, this is good. We're breaking down fat. No, we're also breaking down that lean tissue or muscle mass, which we don't want to break down, especially if we're entering a fat loss because we're trying to target just fat mostly. Um, obviously, we're unable to do that. But our goal is to lose mostly just fat. Now, high cortisol levels can also start to interfere with our recovery and also the adaptive processes of training. So again, stress plays a huge role in our fat loss success. So whatever you can do in order to decrease stress levels through mindful meditation, daily walks, journaling, I definitely recommend finding something that works for you and trying to stay consistent with that during a fat loss and even going into a massing phase as well. Because once you develop those habits and behaviors, those will start to carry on, carry on into other aspects of your life as well. 
So kind of just to finish up this small topic or this area right here is long-term exposures to stress um, will lead to decreased performance in the gym and also a degraded body composition of where you're not only losing fat through cortisol, but also the lean tissue or muscle mass. Now you're thinking, well, Hunter, how do I combat the hunger I have while I'm entering a fat loss phase? So I'm going to leave you with a couple of tips today and we're going to walk through each one. We're going to cover each one in a little detail. So you're not left in the dark while you're leaving this podcast. And the first one is it might be quite, <laughs> quite common and um, obvious, but the first one is going to be selecting and choosing higher volume foods. Now, when I'm specifically talking of higher volume foods, I'm looking at foods that are going to take up more space in your stomach, but not have a lot of calories. So I like to think of it this way is if you take hundred calories of peanut butter, which is roughly one tablespoon, it's not a lot. <laughs> um, so imagine that small amount in, of peanut butter in your stomach. Now, Take 100 calories of broccoli, spinach, berries, um, any other vegetable like that. Um, and now imagine that in your stomach. And if you were to actually weigh out 100 calories of broccoli, spinach would probably be a whole container. Um, but broccoli in general or any other vegetables, they're going to take up a lot more space in your stomach. Okay, So while eating higher calorie foods like the peanut butter, um, can help us feel satisfied. This really won't keep that feeling of fullness and satiety long-term. So this will lead to overconsumption of calories and in the long-term can actually impact our weight loss goals. So number two is using the food palatability reward hypothesis. Simply stated, this is when food tastes really good. We most likely want more of that food. Okay. I have yet to meet a person that will overconsume on an unseasoned, unoiled broccoli dish. Now, me personally, if you lay a hot and steaming plate of freshly baked chocolate chip cookies, I will gladly overconsume those because they taste very good. So boring feet, boring food. We don't want it, but tasty food or highly palatable foods are often very caloric dense example, chocolate chip cookies and are extremely easy to overconsume. Now, when we eat these types of foods, this often leads to us craving more of them down the road. I know if I have one of those cookies, I always usually want more than one. Okay. Now, when you pair those highly palatable foods <clears throat> with hunger from a hypocaloric state, hypocaloric meaning caloric deficit, this equals bad news. This leads to overconsuming. Pairing that hunger with highly palatable foods is not a good combo. Okay. Now, just to cover some examples of low palatable foods, 
Those are going to be your vegetables, unseasoned, unoiled, plain oatmeal, plain potatoes. Those are some basic and common examples for protein sources. Unseasoned chicken breast, as bad as it sounds, it's, it's not going to be very highly palatable. Now, examples of highly palatable foods, this is going to be your chips, your cookies, your cakes, and your candy bars. Okay. Now, moving on to number three. Okay. So number three looks at increasing your protein intake. Now, increasing your protein intake is going to have a larger effect in terms of satiating effects versus the other macronutrients such as fat and carbohydrates. Higher intakes of protein also have anti-hunger characteristics. Another key factor of protein too is looking at the thermic effect of food. So the thermic effect of food is simply the idea that we use energy to break down the food that we consume. So if we look at carbohydrates and fats, the thermic effect of these foods fall anywhere between five and 10%. So if you have a hundred calories of carbohydrates, realistically, you could be using between five and 10% of those hundred calories to break down that food. Now, this is where protein is really special as the thermic effect of protein is roughly 30%. So it's much higher. Consuming higher protein can, and from what I've seen, always leads to a greater diet adherence due to the satiating effects. Now, number four is nutrient timing. Now you may be thinking, well, do I have to eat six meals or seven meals a day? No, okay. For most people, I recommend a minimum of four meals per day. And the main reason why I recommend four is to space out your protein for the maximum and optimal effect of muscle protein synthesis, okay? Now, in terms of nutrient timing, you may be one of those individuals that their hunger arises later in the day, after work, or later at night. Oftentimes, this hunger can be managed by just moving some meals and obviously some food around to later on in the day if you're one of those individuals that doesn't experience that hunger early in the morning. So we can just, like I said, move smaller, mainly protein-dense meals early on in the day and saving more calorie and meal frequency towards the end of the day. Again, so with nutrient timing as well, even though I recommend the four meals for the maximum anabolic response in terms of protein, we still are mostly concerned about caloric intake over 24 hours for fat loss. Now, tip number five is focusing on high fiber foods. So this kind of goes part and part with the palatable foods is if a food contains higher fiber, most likely it's also lower in palatability. So fiber will be your best friend, obviously during a fat loss phase, as it also acts as a hunger suppressant. Your higher fiber foods are gonna be those such as vegetables, fruits, and whole grains, which if you remember correctly, are also 
those lower palatable foods like I just mentioned. So think of it this way. If you have a plate and this will, this would be an example of a good massing meal, chicken with a large side of white rice, and you may have some fat on there as well, such as some oil that may satiate you for an hour or so, depending on the individual, but deep in a fat loss phase, that's not going to suffice. So deep in a fat loss phase, you may pair that chicken with a good portion of vegetables that are going to be very low in palatability. They're going to be very high volume, but they're going to be very low in terms of calories. And this will help extend that time of satiating effect until your next meal. Now, the next one is number six, and this is probably pretty obvious as well, but reducing liquid, liquid calories and increasing calorie-free beverages. Like I said, this should be a no-brainer. You definitely do not want to be drinking your calories on a fat loss phase because this will leave you very hungry uh, when you just drank 200 calories from a beverage that provided no volume. Now, I like to pull in V8 here as an example. And V8 is a very common drink that I see people consume mainly because it has the quote unquote two servings of vegetable, two servings of vegetables in roughly an eight ounce can. On the can, it looks great, but let's just kind of take a step back and think two servings of vegetables in a can versus two servings of vegetables on a plate with all the fiber intact. Which one would you pick? Do, 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 do. All right, so hopefully you guys picked the two servings of vegetables on the plate, okay? Those two servings are going to provide you with not only the fiber that is not provided in the V8, but also a more satiating effect, okay? Now, obviously this is kind of, it was unrelated a little bit to the, the liquid calories, but I still like to use the V8 just because I feel like it's so important to still look at food composition and essentially where it's coming from. In terms of the liquid calories, increasing your water and calorie-free beverage intake before meals, anywhere from eight to 20 ounces can help hunger leading into that meal. And then also the act of chewing your food slowly. And believe it or not, uh, when you chew slowly, uh, it's going to take you longer to eat. So those hunger signals are going to be able to catch up as well. And then just even the act of chewing can aid in the feeling of fullness. So I challenge you to try that. And then the last one may apply to some and it may not apply to others, but increasing and in managing caffeine consumption. So caffeinated beverages, when they are calorie free, so not adding scoops of sugar to your, your coffee or creamer, um, when calorie free, these will take up that extra space in your stomach while you're entering that fat loss, <laughs> fat loss or dieting phase. Caffeine is also a natural appetite suppressant 
and with an increased caffeine, um, increased caffeine intake, um, naturally you're going to feel more energetic. And when you're feeling more energetic, this can also lead to um, promotion of further movement throughout the day. This could be as simple as walking more um, and increasing your NEAT or non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is huge for fat loss. And overall, this can make that fat loss phase easier to adhere to. Those are my seven hunger management tips. These are all pulled from the RP Diet Book 2.0, which I absolutely love. I highly recommend you guys to check that out. And I wanted to share these with you because I felt like they are such an overlooked area that so many people who are entering a fat loss or dieting phase could truly benefit from. Um, when I entered my first couple of fat loss phases, I utilized zero of these. And when I entered in fat loss phases down the road, after I had a little bit more experience and utilized some of these, my adherence to the fat loss and dieting phase was much higher. So these methods do work when applied, and I highly recommend that you utilize these when entering your next fat loss phase. That is all I have for you guys today. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to me on Instagram at hunter underscore poly, or my website is www.hunterpoly.com. Until next time, guys, stay swole, stay smart, and stay dedicated. Thank you.